0: Well, good morning again. Thank you, Didi, uh, for that prayer. If you have your Bibles, would you meet me in Romans chapter 15? Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 7 is where we will be in God's word together this morning. Uh, you can find that passage in your bulletin as well. And again, welcome Thankful for the opportunity to gather together. If this is your first time with us, we've been in a sermon series entitled One Another. Uh, one Another is a phrase uh, taken from Scripture. Uh, depending on your translation, there are approximately 60 One Another's in the New Testament. And we're taking six of them uh, together uh, in order to. Consider the call to gospel community. Uh, Gospel community is a hot topic uh, for our hyper-individualized society. There is a growing suspicion uh, of the church. Uh, I've been a Christian for about 20 years, and I have had countless moments of sitting across the table from sincere Jesus loving people who are just tired and discouraged in regards to the church. The one anothering is just too hard. And so for many, they're fine with loving Jesus, they just can't keep dealing with his bride, the church. And yet, what we see in the New Testament and really all of Scripture is that the Lord calls a people to himself as well as to each other. And over and over again, there is this notion that we are the body of Christ, members one of another. And so uh, we are called to each other as much as we are called to the Lord. And so I want to take a few minutes to uh, talk about living in harmony with one another. From Romans chapter 15, verse 1 through 7. So if you're able, I want to invite you to stand as we read Romans 15. Hear now the word of the Lord. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings Of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through The very words of our God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, it has been a wearisome week. I know I have felt the heaviness personally and in my household. So I feel very aware of my frailty in this moment. But Lord, I'm thankful because you live, I can face this week, yesterday, today, and forever. So Lord, I ask that as I speak to the ear, you would speak to the heart and transform lives. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart Acceptable in your sight, oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. When I think about what it means for Christians to live with one another, I think of fire horses, fire horses. Before the use of fire trucks, between the Civil War era and the early 1920s, uh, firefighters would use horses to pull their fire wagons and all the necessary equipment. And they wouldn't just use any old horse, no, because horses tend to be flighty, especially when dealing with fire. And so they would carefully choose a horse, rigorously, train the horse in order to fight fires and so you would see these fire horses pulling the wagon up to a building burning building or what have you and what you would see is that this horse was just standing still just staying the firefighters are running all around. The, 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 the fire and, and the smoke is dancing all around these horses, and you look at the horses, and they're staying. They're enduring. It was hot. It was chaotic. It was all kinds of distractions going all around. It even got so potentially dangerous that there were moments that the fire from these buildings or whatnot, the flames would burn the hairs on their manes and singe them. But they stayed, they endured. When I think about what it means for Christians to live with one another, I think of fire horses. In the church, at times, it's hot. It's chaotic. It's all kinds of distractions going around. And yet, we were chosen. We were chosen to stay, to endure. Being in the church can be challenging. If anybody offers you a sales pitch to say that church is easy, they're either ill-informed or being dishonest. When you read the New Testament... You, you, you realize that there really wouldn't be much of a New Testament without seeing churches that were challenging and trying to figure out, wrestling for what it means to live life together. 21 of the 27 books were written to churches and church leaders, and they were wrestling for how to love God and love his people. You can really say this about all the Bible, but let's focus in on the ones that are specifically to churches. Romans is one of those books. Romans is the longest of Paul's letters in the New Testament. And covered within its pages are many things. The first 11 chapters are really Paul going over the essential doctrines of the gospel. The emphasis there is how to understand the gospel rightly. And then we get to chapters 12 through 16, and we see this shift happen, and Paul begins to emphasize how to live the gospel rightly. Paul hones in on the conduct of the Christian in light of Christ's finished work. In chapter 15, along with chapter 14 as well, Paul is addressing diversity, in particular, he's addressing diverse living within the church. And he uses these categories of strong in the faith and weak in the faith, which can be somewhat off-putting because I would imagine nobody wants to be put in the category of a weak Christian. But the New Testament was originally written in Greek, and in Greek, the words there could be better translated as able and unable. Unable. The strong Christians were able, the weak Christians were unable. Well, what is Paul dealing with here? Well, firstly, it's important to note that the church in Rome, as well as most of the churches that Paul planted, was a multi-ethnic church. The norm for Paul's ministry was multi-ethnic ministry. In his ministry, it was always intentional to gather Christians from a Jewish background with Christians from a non-Jewish background the Bible calls Gentiles. Paul was not colorblind. He was not ignorant of the factors that lead to separation and even hostility along ethnic lines. He understood that to try to ignore that would cause deep harm. He understood that ethnicity, along with all other human experiences, impacts worldview. He understood that it impacts how we see and understand the world. It impacts how we build community. And such was the case for the Roman Christians, Jews and Gentiles were coming together under the lordship of Christ and a dispute arose. It was enough of a dispute that Paul wanted to spend two chapters addressing it. It was an issue around diet and holy days. Some Christians, probably the Jewish ones, they were concerned about eating meat and drinking wine. They did not feel able to partake in it. We see this same issue in 1 Corinthians in chapter 8 and 10, that uh, that meat was used in idolatrous practices. And so these Christians in chapter 14 were calling it unclean. And so Paul was clarifying that in Christ, nothing is unclean. But they were not fully convinced of that, so they did not feel able to participate in it, and it was similar to the holy days. In Christ, we esteem all days as holy, not just the special ones. So, when Paul talks about the strong and the weak Christians, he's talking about people that were either convinced of the strength of the gospel for their growth, while others that were somewhat convinced, but they also were succumbing to preferences and traditions. So, verse one, Paul says, The strong have an obligation to care for the weak. And the language of chapter 14 is, Don't make them stumble. If it feels like sin to them, he's exhorting the strong Christians to not insist on their freedoms. Christians are called to be living sacrifices, as Romans 12.1 says. And part of the sacrificial life is that we are free to lay down our freedom for the strong Christian you can lay down everything and lose nothing because you have Christ who is all sufficient. Amen. But not everyone's convinced of that. So Paul said to these Christians, go the pace of the one who is still learning that. So I'm fine. If we come to the table, ain't no rack of ribs. I'm fine. If we come together, ain't no Pino Grigio, I'm okay. Because I'm willing to do whatever it takes to build up your faith and not hinder it at all. Dr. Erwin Enz puts it this way Our freedom in Christian community is much more than the freedom to eat whatever we want and drink whatever we want. Our freedom is the freedom to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Our liberty as Christians is the, ability, is the liberty to die to our own preferences, the liberty to die to our disordered desire to please ourselves all the time. That's freedom in Christ. We are set free to truly live for the good of others. But what I love about Paul here is that quickly in verse 2, he pivots from this language of strong to weak to the language of each of us. In order to say it really doesn't matter which category you fit in, we are all called to lay down our lives for the good of the other to build him up in Christ. Because no one is perfect even if you think you're strong. So how do we accomplish this? What are the guiding principles for building one another up in Christ? Paul gives two. The example of Christ and the word of God, the scriptures. In verse 3, Christ, we see that Christ didn't even please himself. And he certainly was entitled to it. This is Philippians 2, that, that Christ humbled himself to the point of death on the cross. And Paul, he quotes Psalm 69. This is what's called an imprecatory psalm. And Precatory Psalms were psalms where the anointed king of Israel is crying out and calling for judgment and justice against the wickedness in this world. And Paul quotes, the reproaches of those who approached you fell on me. He's quoting it to say, there's another anointed king. King Jesus that still offers cries for justice, cries for judgment, but in ultimate sacrifice, he took that justice and judgment upon himself for the sake of the wicked. That Christ demonstrated his love and that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Oh, hallelujah. So Paul is saying here, pleasing your neighbor, Living for their good, building them up, all of that means living a cruciform life, following the example of a crucified king. As Hebrew 12 says, we look to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Our king of glory laid down his life for our freedom and he offers to us that example. The other guiding principle is the word of God, the scriptures. The scriptures are actually essential to living in Christian community. The scriptures clarify what is different from preferences versus commands which was really important when Paul was writing because what was happening is there was no scripture that said you should only eat vegetables. No scripture that said you can't drink wine. And so there was some preferential things happening. And so he lays out the scripture to say this is the guiding principle. And the thing about scripture is that it actually calls us to something higher and something harder than the world. It calls us to love. It calls us to love and it defines love and commands love. That in our world today, everyone is using language of love and justice and so on and so forth, but we don't actually mean the same thing as the world. We don't. The scriptures define what love is and what justice is. And so, no, we don't satisfy ourselves with. Tolerance. I tolerate you. That doesn't make me feel good. (laughs) We don't just settle for coexisting, acknowledging that we take up the same space and breathe the same air. We are called to love. Romans 13 tells us that we owe it to each other to love, that we are indebted to each other to love. But... What is love? What is love? I'm resisting that song in my head, Lord Jesus. (laughs) What is sacrifice? You can't actually answer that without a transcendent reference point that creates shared understanding. Okay? So for Christians... Our reference point is not our estimation of common sense. It's not sentimentality. It's not the most subjective good for the most subjective people. Our reference point is the scriptures, the word of God. Paul says it was written for our instruction. It gives us definition and it gives us guidance. It is the lamp unto our feet and the light unto our pathway. And Paul helps us to see the purpose of all this, the purpose of these two guiding principles. Look at it with me in verse 4. He says that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Hope. That's so powerful to me. If you're going to do this church thing, if you're going to do this gospel community stuff, You're going to need a lot of hope. Hope is the intersection of endurance and encouragement. When endurance and encouragement come together, there you will find hope. And as I have sat with many, many people that are really struggling to be in the church, what I hear is at least one of those things is lacking. They don't feel the encouragement being in the church and or they don't feel the endurance of being in the church. Encouragement in the Greek comes from a word, parakaleo, a word that Jesus used to describe the Holy Spirit as a comforter. Encouragement means exhortation. It means consolation. It means comfort. Endurance in the Greek could could also be translated as steadfastness or patience. It's defined as the capacity to continue to bear up under difficult circumstances. Gospel community takes encouragement and endurance. So let me ask you, when you think about what it means to be in the church, Are either of those missing for you? Do you feel discouraged? Discomforted? Do you feel yourself losing your patience, your capacity to endure? If so, you you won't last long in church, especially when it gets hot. So how can we keep our hope? How can we maintain our endurance and our encouragement? Paul tells us in verse 5 and verse 6, prayer and perspective. Verse 5, Paul goes into this prayer of blessing for the church. He says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. If you want encouragement, if you need endurance, you must pray for it. You cannot do this one another stuff on your own. We cannot do it. We are too sinful. We need the Lord's help. We cannot muster this up in our own strength. H.B. Charles, he puts it this way. Prayer is arguably the most objective measurement of our dependence on God. The things you pray about are the things you trust God to handle. Things you neglect to pray about are the things you trust you can handle. When we pray, we are entrusting ourselves to the Lord. We are confessing that God is the one that is meant to handle everything. And we surrender to that reality. Everything that we think we cannot handle, we give to the Lord. And what we think we can, we hold for ourselves. And so the only way for rich fellowship with one another is by the grace of the God of endurance and encouragement. He is our source. And as we surrender we gain some perspective beyond these relationships. Paul offers this prayer, and he does so so that we can actually look past these interpersonal relationships. He he doesn't want us to do this one another stuff for the sake of the one another. This is not a social club. He tells us the why of why we do this one another. He says, look beyond... And he tells us to set our sights on the glory of God. Verse 6, it tells us that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Pastor Timothy mentioned this last week. And he he says, uh, we come together as a church as a foretaste of where we are headed that Jesus commanded for us to pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, how is it in heaven? Revelation 7, 9, and 10 is how it is in heaven, that people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation, and every language, they gather around the throne of God crying with a loud voice. Salvation belongs to God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Be all blessing and glory and honor and power forever and ever. Amen and amen. Oh, praise his name. That is where we are headed and we get to sample that together here on earth. When I was a kid, when we went to Sam's Club, I was that kid that I always ate all the samples. I mean, I just, we went to Sam's Club and I just go from checkpoint to checkpoint, getting those samples. Blessed my soul. And I just assumed that the samples were my meal. Like, you provide me to shop and you provide me to eat my meal. And, and I would go around, and I would, you know, do kind of maybe one or two loops. And you could tell on the, on the sample giver's face that they wanted to tell me no, but they wanted to do this customer service thing, so they just kind of judged me in their heart. And I remember my mom would snatch me up and say, come here, boy, you're not supposed to make a meal out of this sample. The samples were meant to create a longing for the bigger product. The sample was not meant to be enough to satisfy When we come together as the church, this is merely a sample. And it's meant to activate a longing for eternity, a longing for more of the glory of God. So we gather together as living sacrifices to build one another up to. But the point, the point of this beautiful mess we call the church It's to glorify God. So one final thought here. Did you notice verse 6 where Paul says that you may with one voice glorify God? It says one voice, not the same voice. Unity, not uniformity. God is gathering this multifaceted, multi-ethnic church to glorify him with one voice. So what does that mean? Live in harmony with one another. I love a good harmony. Shout out to our worship team. They'd be holding it down with these harmonies. See, in unison, you're singing with the same voice. But when you get to a harmony, you feel this beautiful difference. The sopranos and altos and tenors and bass and they come together and it's one voice. And it sounds so beautiful, Lord willing. Yeah. But you can't actually have a good harmony without a solid melody. The melody is the main baseline note upon which all the other layers of notes surround in the harmony to blend together. The melody for the Christian is the gospel, the power of God unto salvation. The harmony... Is God's people coming together and honoring our diverse experiences and backgrounds and coming together with the intention to not just be with each other, but to be with God and glorify him. So as verse seven tells us, the command is to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us for the glory of God. For the glory of God, we live in mutual sacrifice for one another to build each other up in Christ by the strength of his mercy. And so we stay. We endure. When it gets hot, when it gets chaotic, when it gets distracting, May God help us to stay and endure through his encouragement and endurance. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. So Lord, we do confess that our endurance and encouragement is fragile. We need your help. To stay and endure. There is someone under the sound of my voice that is discouraged. Just tired. Lord, we need your help, O God of endurance encouragement. To maintain our hope of this sample we call the church. So would help us in Jesus' name, amen.